Not too many people get to walk up to Eye of the Tiger on Sunday morning. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. I'm so glad to be with you all. I just want to let you know something very important to me. Um, I actually would not be here if it wasn't for this event, and it is my mom's birthday today. So... Thank you, Mom, for being born. I wouldn't be here without you. appreciate that. And let's pause and let's take a moment to pray as we begin our morning and continue our conversation on the truth between us. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for your mercy. We are thankful for your goodness, Lord, even... For the rain that we have had, Lord, you caused the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike, Lord, that you pour out blessing on humanity because you love them, you love us. And Father, as we understand more and more of who you are, our desire is to represent you more clearly and to understand how we can do that. And so I pray that this morning would be helpful in these things, and we give you our attention, Father. We give you our focus, and we desire to fight off distraction and allow your voice to penetrate our hearts and our souls and to shape us. And we do pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are continuing our conversation on the truth between us, and it's been Interesting to me, the response that I've gotten, and it wasn't unexpected, but it's been interesting because I've had a lot of just people talking to me about this. And I know when I get a lot of people talking to me, there are more people not talking to me who have thoughts and just don't say anything. And that's usually because it's not good and they don't want to say anything. But it's been an important conversation, I think, for us as a community. It's a scary thing sometimes to step out and want to represent Jesus in the way you feel that he really should be represented because it might rub against a lot of traditions that people have held in the past. And when we started our first conversation, the truth between us and Islam, it was done intentionally first because right now that's the hot topic. I mean, there is so much in the news taking place regarding radical Islam and just the things that have happened even to the Christians in Egypt and throughout the world. And so when you say something like the truth between us, it causes a lot of people's emotions to rise and understandably so. But as our conversation went forward, the point isn't in any of these talks to say that we are the same because we are not. Christianity is not the same as Islam or Buddhism. And the idea here isn't to find areas where we are the same. It's to find areas where we can take what is true from another's faith belief and connect them to what is true to our belief and allow them to 
to see the differences and to make the decision. You see, I don't want to fool someone into becoming a follower of Jesus. Oh, it's just the same. Come on, join us. That's not what it's about. There is decisive differences that I think are important to bring out that are important to the character of God that is revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. And so the first week we talked about the truth between us and Islam. And last week we talked about the truth between us and Buddhism. And today we're going to talk about the truth between us, us and Catholicism. And immediately there's a, a noticeable difference because these other two talks that we've had have been streams that are outside of Christendom. But when we start talking about Catholicism, we're talking about a, a belief system that has actually come from the stream of Christianity. And, and so every Catholic will consider themselves Christian, but not every Christian would consider themselves Catholic. And so though Catholicism has come from that Christian stream and Protestant has come from the Catholic stream, there are these differences. And it's important to recognize these things because there are differences just in Christendom itself. You've got Baptists, you've got Methodists, you've got Presbyterians, you've got Pentecostals, you, you've got a whole gamut. And in these, there are so many differences. In fact, so many people are confused. If, if Christianity is true, why are there so many differences in this one faith? And I, I think the answer is really simple, is because there are differences in humanity. And I'm all for unity, but I'm not for uniformity. I'm glad there are differences. I've gone to some places where there has just been this incredible worship where the people are just jumping and it's just rocking the house and, and the church is just shaking and everyone's got their hands raised and it's been a lot of fun. And most of the time I just kind of watch it because I'm not a real jump kind of guy. But I've enjoyed it, and I'm glad that there's that expression. And then I've gone to places where there's the liturgies and, and where there's traditions and where there's hymns, and I sat there, and I didn't feel out of place because no one was really doing anything, and I didn't know what was going on either. And so I could just be there, and I appreciated some of the depth and the context that was there in those things. And I can appreciate the differences that are there. But you see, the differences are just in humanity. And the conflict isn't because Christianity is conflicted. It's because people are conflicted. I bet most marriages here have conflict. No amens, but I understand. <laughs> most, most marriages have conflict, and it's not because your wife is Protestant and you're Methodist. It's because you're human and there is conflict. And so, of course, there is going to be differences. And, of course, there is going to be those kinds of things that are conflicting. But it's not a conflict of belief. It's just in this expression of belief. And one of the things that we find at the core of both Catholicism and Protestant or evangelical Belief is this desire to connect to God and to be right with God. 
And that is at the foundation of these beliefs. It is, I want to know if I'm right with God. I want to be okay with God. And, and in some sense, I want God to be on my side. And so in Catholicism, there are the seven sacraments that begin with baptism and then end with the last rites. And, and these sacraments are important parts of trying to connect us to these seeds of faith, these areas of faith and, and these things that they hold These sacraments are things that we find in our faith as well. And it starts with baptism. Now, it starts with infant baptism and the Catholic Church. And the whole point of infant baptism, it's a necessity for them to try and connect that baby to the grace of God. And that's the point of infant baptism. It's, I want my child to, to be dedicated to God. And, and again, understanding when Catholicism started, and we gotta remember, this is a very, very old religion. It's been here a long time. And when it started, the mortality rate for children wasn't as good as it is today. Children died a lot more frequently through childbirth than happened today. And, and so here was this, this confrontation of faith, well, if we are born with this Adamic nature, this Adamic stain from sin from Adam, what happens to our kids when, when they die? And what, how can we make sure that this baby makes it to heaven somehow? And so the whole idea was, well, let's baptize them. We're gonna, we're gonna sanctify them with grace of God when they're born. That way they can go to heaven in case something happens. And that was the idea behind this. And what we start to find out in all religions is when there is a misunderstanding of the character of God, then there is a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation of how to implement things in a truthful way. And when you believe that you are trying to find God more than he is trying to be found, there's something wrong. And then you find yourself doing these things to try and please God and to try and satisfy what you don't know. And if you just understood that God is actually wanting to be found more than you are actually wanting to find him, it changes how you see things and how you see and interpret the whole story of Scripture. But you see this fear of a child dying with this Adamic stain and then being separated from God forever led to this, well, what can we do? Well, we can sanctify them through baptism. And what baptism became in Catholicism is very much like what circumcision was in Judaism. It was, you're going to be setting them apart for God, for the service of God. And so the intention was, we want our children to be Set aside for God. We want to sanctify them with these things for God. And you see that there is an intention that is, I think, at the heart of a lot of people. I know a lot of people who follow Christ have dedicated their children. We, we do baby dedications. We don't do baptisms. 
We do dedications. The, the word baptism is actually a transliteration from Scripture baptismo. Baptismo means immersion. But because they didn't want to immerse babies, because that could be dangerous, they changed it to be baptized so that they could sprinkle them, and then it was, okay, that, that becomes our connection. And so baptism was just something they do, a necessity for God's grace to be connected to that baby, their way of dedicating. And as a parent, isn't our desire to dedicate our children to God, that they would grow up and follow God. And so there is that truth between us as far as desire, but then there's the difference in how it takes place. See, I had to ask my mom because I don't remember. I asked my mom, was I baptized when I was born? She goes, yeah, your grandparents baptized you. I go, okay, thanks for letting me know. I just found that out this morning because I didn't know. Because at the time, I couldn't make those kinds of decisions. When I was baptized as an infant, the only things I could do was cry, eat, and poop, and sleep, hopefully, right, prayerfully. I I didn't have a cognitive thought process in this. And, And so later on in life, I chose to be baptized because I wanted to make a a willful connection to Christ, my decision to follow after Jesus. And it was important that I did that. And what happens, I found in Christianity that a lot of people, as they grow up, even in a Christian or a, a Protestant environment, They don't get baptized, and as time goes by, they feel ashamed because I haven't been baptized. Well, I've grown up in church, but I've never been baptized. I should have been baptized a long time ago, but I haven't, so I won't be baptized because what will people think if they say, well, you're not baptized? You should have been baptized a long time. I know, but I'm not. And so they never get baptized, even though it's an important thing. Now, it's not something that sanctifies us to the grace of God, but it is something that shows the grace of God is in our lives, and it's a command of Jesus. And one of the things I found just as I was thinking about Catholicism and the Protestant movement or Christianity evangelical idea that we have today is there is a lot more, it seems, devotion in Catholicism. You see, most of those babies were baptized, but not most followers of Jesus get baptized. And Catholicism is something that happens where you're not born, quote, a Christian. It is a decision you make, but you can be born Catholic, right? How many of you were born Catholic? You know exactly what I'm saying. It's like, no, I was born Catholic. And I've known people, and man, this person can live like the devil, but they're born Catholic. Why? Because that's where I'm Catholic. I don't do anything that Catholics should do, but I'm Catholic. That's just how I was born. It becomes something that is a part of their identity. I see some of you smiling because you go, yeah, I know all about that. But there is a devotion in Catholicism where, man, we're going to get our kid baptized. And in Christianity, there's not always the same devotion. Well, I need to be baptized. And, And we start to see actually some things that we can appreciate in these areas. And one of the things that we understand what the character of God concerning infants being dedicated to God and what happens to children if they die. Again, it comes back to the character of God. Is God loving or does God require us to jump through hoops to please him? Otherwise, our eternity is lost. And and one of the things we see in Scripture uh, through David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 
when David had fallen into sin with Bathsheba. And then it was obvious because she got pregnant, and it's hard to hide that sin when someone becomes pregnant. And so you guys know the story. David tried to set up Uriah to sleep with his wife, but he was just noble and wouldn't do that because his men were at war. And so David ends up killing Uriah so that he can marry Bathsheba and cover up his sin. Not one of David's better moments in life. And there it is in scripture for all of us to read. And then when the child is born, there is illness on the child and the child is dying and we see David praying and fasting as the child is sick and then the child dies. And after the child dies, David gets up and he washes himself and he starts eating and and the people are puzzled. Like now is when you should be grieving. And he says, no, I prayed that God would spare the child, but now the child is gone and I cannot bring him back, but I will go to him. And you see, David's understanding is that, no, the child is with God and one day I will be with him. It wasn't that, gosh, I hope the child, you know, just because the child was born in sin, it was from Bathsheba and I, man, the child could be doomed. David didn't have that understanding of God and neither should we. That just as God loves you, God loves those children and we can entrust his character for those situations. Another area uh, that is similar or true between us is the idea of communion or the Eucharist. Now, the Catholic Church, this is a, a big deal. Now, I was baptized Catholic, but I don't think I was anything else after that. So if that was the first sacrament, I stopped there. I never made it to second, right? I I just stopped there. Now, I do remember going to Catholic Church, and it was on that day where they put the ash on your head. It was the Ash Wednesday, right? Is it Friday or Wednesday? Wednesday. See, I I never made it to the second. I'm I'm not a, a good Catholic. But I remember going there, and I remember this is pretty intense. There were candles everywhere. I don't remember what language the priest was speaking, so it's probably pre-Vatican II. Latin, okay, it was Latin. There you go. And I remember it being a pretty intense situation. And the idea of communion is different in the Protestant movement or evangelical circles than it is in the Catholics. See, the Catholics believe that they are giving you the body of Christ and the grace of Christ every time you take the sacrament. It's something that's sacred and it it is Christ dying for you again every time and it becomes a very sacred moment and the priest goes up and he does something with the wine and the he breaks the bread and it's very ceremonial and it's, it's very sacred. I mean, for us... At least sometimes I've gone to churches where you get a little snack pack. It's almost like, you know, dining at Denny's, you know, for the Christians sometimes. It's here's your little, it's all in one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You got this and underneath it is a little cracker thingy and it's all in one. It's just kind of trite. You see, and, and where we don't believe that Christ is dying over and over again, We're not partaking of Christ. And they take that from John chapter 6, where he says, this is my body, you must eat my flesh and and drink my blood. Well, we don't believe that. 
what we do believe is it is very symbolic of the death of Christ and his sacrifice for us. And so it is supposed to be a sacred moment. It is supposed to be something that we do until Christ returns because by doing that, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that we proclaim, we preach the death of Christ until he returns. And so it's our way of acknowledging what Jesus did in our lives. And so it should be something that's sacred. But once again, we don't have that ceremony, but we should consider consider it an important thing and not just here's your cracker and stuff go ahead i remember one time one of my sons brought his friend a, a girl to church and it was her first time there and they were doing communion and so they handed out the little cups to everyone you know and she got her cup and i think she thought it was a shot glass she just got it and she just shot it right there and then everyone my son was looking at her like no that's not what you're supposed to do you know so she is there with an empty cup and looking around like oh i did it wrong you know and that whole idea of doing it wrong um it's kind of funny but it should be a sacred event and it is something that both Catholics and evangelicals remember is the death of Christ. It is something that we practice and we continue to practice, even though there are those differences that we're going to talk about even a little bit more later. Another thing that is supposed to be an important part of our lives is confession. James chapter 5 tells us that we are to confess our sin one to another. And the idea of confession is ownership. When I confess, I am agreeing with what has happened in my life. I'm acknowledging it. And so instead of hiding our sin, instead of covering it up or deceiving ourselves, there is supposed to be the recognition of this is what I've done and I'm telling you so that I can own it and so that I can be a better person, so I can change and become a better human being. And so there is this importance in this idea of confession. And it, it it's so important because it does take that ownership. And in the Catholic Church, what confession is, is going before the priest and going into the confessional. And I had another Catholic experience. When I was, I don't know, about 10 years old, I think it was, my parents sent me to Catholic camp. We weren't Catholic. I think it was their way to get rid of us for two weeks so that they could have some time. But it was at Camp Don Bosco, and it was two weeks, and we went to this camp. And there were all these priests that were there. And it was a lot of fun. I had a fun. We would ride horses. We got to shoot bow and arrows. And we, you know, did all these things. But I remember they would also, we'd have to get up early Sunday and go to church. And we had all these things going on. And I remember thinking, wow, okay, is there something going on here? And they kept talking about this one saint. It was Saint Dominic. I don't know what he did. I don't remember. But I remember saints are cool. And I remember telling one of these, he was called Brother Bob, I think. I told Brother Bob, I'd like to be a saint. He goes, oh, you are you Catholic? And I said, I don't think so. And he goes, well, you know, you can be Catholic. And as they were going into the confessional and taking the communions, I was like, well, what is that? And they go, are you Catholic? I go, no, I'm not. Well, you can't do that. But, well, what do I have to do to go, you know, do the confession? He goes, well, you need to go in the booth and, and you have to go in there and you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And then you tell him your sin. And I said, okay, I can do that. He goes, do you want to do that? I go, yeah, I want to go into the confessional. So I went into the confessional and they had that little screen there. So you can't really see, which is a good thing, I think, you know. And so I couldn't see in there. And then I, 
I said, okay, well, uh, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. I forget what else I said, and I, I don't know what sins I had at 10 that needed confessing, but I probably said something, you know, yeah, I was mad at my brother, maybe I lied to him or hit him or, or did something. And I, so I went through my thing, and this is all this, and then I heard, I was like waiting for something, and I heard talking, but it was like mumbled. And I was like, what's going on? I, and I'm trying to peek through, you know, and I'm like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden I hear, whoop, and this door slides open. And I can see a silhouette of a priest there. It's like, oh, he was talking to someone else. He wasn't talking to me. And so I just spilled all my sins to nobody. You know, I just like, oh, no. And so I had to, to go over them again. And I, I think they were different the second time because I don't know if I was, I'm a little cautious now. I, I don't know who was listening the first time. And so I was had this kind of understanding, wow, okay, that's how you, you deal with your sins. And I remember coming back from Camp Don Bosco, and it, a lot of stuff happened at that camp. We took our friend and my brother. My brother passed out. My friend got in a fight and then ended up getting hepatitis. But I had a, a lot of fun. But when I came back from Camp Don Bosco, I remember I thought, I'm, I want to be a saint. That's right. I want to be a saint. And so I told my parents, I want to be a saint. And they were like, that's very good. Oh, so proud. And for the, like the first few days, man, I was Mr. Saint. I was, I'm going to be a saint. I'm going to be like Saint Dominic. Whatever he did, it was cool. I'm going to be Saint Sam. And it had a good ring to it. And I thought about this. And then there was an incident that happened with my brother and one of our friends. I forget what it was. Someone broke like some patio furniture or something like that. And then my stepfather came and he said, who broke the patio furniture? And then he looked at me, he goes, Sam, you want to be a saint, don't you? What happened? And I was saying, oh man, so to be a saint, you have to be a snitch, you know? I was like, oh no, I, I don't know about the saint, I'm going to get beat up, you know, if I'm a saint. And so I had this conflict and it didn't last long. Um, but there is this idea of confession and, again, wanting to be right with God that is important to a Catholic, to a devout Catholic, and to a devout Christian, or, or it should be. And you see, even in prayer, there is the desire to, to get God's attention for him to hear what is happening. And we desire that, and, and in the Catholic Church... There is wanting to get God's attention. So if you want to talk to God, maybe you can talk to someone who is right with him. And that's why there'll be a prayer to the saint, like a Saint Dominic or Francis or whatever saints are out there. It's because these are men who lived good lives. And so they have this quality that if you talk to them, they can talk to God for you. Or you can talk to Mary. Because everyone knows if you want something, you talk to the mom, depending on what you want, right? My boys, if they want money, they don't come to me. My hands don't reach the pockets, right? It's like, yeah, no, sorry, son, can't help you out. But mom, my mom, yeah, we don't have this, oh. Oh, what's okay. All right. And she's more willing to help out sometimes than that. You know, it works other ways. My daughter comes to me because she knows I got the soft touch in that way. Hi, Dad. And I, oh, hi, honey. <laughs> I was wondering if I could get this dress, but I don't have the money. Oh, how much do you need? All of a sudden, I can reach my wallet, right? Yeah. 
Oh, she gives me a hug, and I feel warm and happy. My daughter loves me. Karen goes, what did you do? No, nothing. <laughs> and so we go to people who we feel can get us in. And so there's the idea where if you want to get Jesus to do something, well, maybe you go to Mary, his mom. And here's where the streams really divide, because in, in all these things, even though there's something similar, what has happened in Catholicism is it begins to be something that you connect to the church. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 13, because here's really where we see things divided and where their beliefs come in and where our beliefs come in as far as being Protestants. And in Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They answered, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you release on earth will have been released in heaven." Then he instructed the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now, we spoke about this passage not too long ago, but this is a passage where Catholics believe that Jesus is telling Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. And so Peter becomes, in a sense, the first vicar, the first pope, the first representative of God to the people. He is given the keys of the kingdom. And so God is going to do his work through the person of Peter. And so there has to be this connection to the person so that there can be the connection to God. And you see, as I talked about this passage a few weeks back, what Jesus is doing is really giving Peter authority, but the authority isn't Peter's, it's Christ, the son of the living gods. And so Jesus calls, changes his name. And if you're God, you get to do things like that. He says, yeah, Simon, your name is now Peter, which means a stone. And on this Petros, this rock, I am going to build my church. And what Jesus is doing is saying, Peter, I'm going to change who you are because of your belief in me. And now the belief in Christ reshapes your identity so that your identity is connected to mine. And when that takes place, the keys of the kingdom belong to you. But it wasn't exclusive to Peter. It was meant for all who believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And I don't think it's a coincidence that right after, if you just go down to verse 21... The story immediately after this incredible revelation by Peter, we see from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and experts in the law and be killed and on the third day be raised. So look at this, verse 22. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay, that's kind of funny. Hey, Jesus, come here. 
hey, you got it. You're, you're messing up here. He began to rebuke Jesus. Think about that. Well, I guess, you know, I get revelations. So I'm getting a revelation right now, Jesus. Here's how it's going to come down. God forbid, Lord, this happen. Not This should not happen. Must not happen to you. Verse 23. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me because you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. So Peter went from being this guy who holds the keys to being Satan in just a short time. Okay, he is just a man. And what we see is that Christ is trying to change our humanity, but it's changed by what he is and what he does. And so here is where things start to divide and where we see that there is not the need for the person, but there is the need for Christ. You see, in Catholicism, it is the church that carries with it the grace of God. And what we believe is that it is Christ who carries the grace of God. And so even though these things are similar, the ideas of baptism, the idea of communion, the idea of confession, the idea of prayers, even though these things are similar, the Catholic method is through the church. The church is the one who gets these things and brings these things about. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The author writes, And others who became priests were numerous because death prevented them from continuing in office. But he, speaking of Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently since he lives forever. So he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. For it is indeed fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need to do every day what those priests do, to offer sacrifices for their own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this in offering himself once for all. For the law appoints as high priests men subject to weakness, but the word of solemn affirmation that came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. And so there is this need to go to the church and then the church appoints priests and then you go to the priest to get confession. The the priest goes to God on your behalf to bring that confession to God so that you could receive forgiveness. And then the writer of Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is our priest that we go to and he died once for all. He, he doesn't have to die every time like we partake of communion for us to enter into the grace of God. It has been done once for all. In fact, many Protestants gave their life just for this truth to establish that this this communion table is not Jesus dying again. It, it is affirmation that his death once was for all. And they gave their lives just to make that point. Because there was opposition to that. But don't get high and mighty say, yeah, those Catholics were killing those Protestants for that belief. Because some Protestants killed other people for their beliefs too. It's not all good all the way around. The point is here, 
the Catholic Church believes that they are the ones who God is going to use and they appoint the priests and then the priests are the ones who are used by God to bring that confession or the saints that you pray to. But Scripture is saying you don't need to go to a man. You don't need to go to a church because you can go to God himself. Because you can go to Christ himself. That he lives to make this intercession for you. That he is there to bring this. You don't need the priest to make the Eucharist meaningful. Jesus made that sacrifice for us. But I find that there is at times a lot of uncertainty with Catholics. There's a lot of humility in that. And that's what drives them, I think, to prayer. And that's what drives them to church is because I just don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I've done enough. And, and so they go to the priest and they go to church and they go to the confessions because they want to be certain. And I think that's a common truth between us is we want to know if we are right with God or if God is okay with us. And how can we know that? How, how can we be secure in that? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, a verse that you guys are familiar with. Ephesians 2, verse 8. It says... For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. You see, the character of God wants you more than you want him. And God has done everything that is necessary for us to connect to him. It's not by what we do. It's not by if we do it right or if we do it wrong. It's by what he has done that makes us right. And what we need to do is accept what he has done on our behalf. And that's how our conscience gets satisfied. That's how our souls find release. You see, the church doesn't hold the grace of God. God gives his grace to us. And we don't need to go to the church to, to get to God. And you don't need to come to Genesis to get to God. You don't need to, to hear from me to hear from God. God has made himself available to us through the person of Jesus. And instead of us trying to figure out how can we get God to like us, the story and the narrative of Scripture is that God already loves you. What he's trying to do is get you to recognize the depth and the breadth of that love. That God so loved you that he gave himself his only son, that whoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life. And the crucifixion is the heartbeat 
that tells us the extent of God's love. But the crucifixion isn't the end. A lot of people have died. But Jesus rose again. And another one of those areas of division, I think, that take place is is when you go into a Catholic church. And again, let's recognize Catholicism varies. If you go to South America to here in the States, you might find a lot of variation, just like you do in any other faith. But in most of the Catholic church, you will see a crucifix and Jesus is there on the cross. And the crucifixion, as important as as it is, is not what is most important. It is the resurrection. Because the resurrection is what tells us that God accepted the sacrifice and that we don't have to continue the sacrifice. That is the grace of God now given to us. It's important, but the resurrection is what makes the crucifixion meaningful. And to know that he lives and intercedes for us. One last story just regarding this. And it's a story, I just love it. It almost makes me weep every time I tell it. Years ago, it was Easter, and we were meeting at a school. And the children's group was meeting in the cafeteria. And this little girl, just this cute little girl, little Mexican girl, you could tell she was a Mexican girl, not because just how she looked because of the dress she wore. It was just one of those dresses. You guys know what I mean? You know, it was, it was bright red. It had, like, these white flowers, and it was, like, big. And, and it was just the cutest thing. I mean, that's why I wanted to have a little girl, was just seeing those kind of... Yeah, I want one of those, I'd tell my wife. She was just a doll, and she was there at church, and they were talking about the story of Jesus and the resurrection. And, and when they got to the place of the resurrection, they said, and then Jesus rose from the dead. Her eyes lit up. And she was just amazed. And she just started shouting because she couldn't hold it. She goes, you mean he's alive? He's alive? He's alive? Her mom came. She went running up to her mom going, mom, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. She was so excited because the Jesus who loved her, who died for her, was alive for her. You see... Religion wants us to understand that they, we need them to get to him. But Jesus died and rose again to tell us, I'm here and I'm available for you. And so, though we come from the same stream, it's important to understand There are the differences. And that Jesus' death and his resurrection are proof that he ever intercedes for us. And that he is available to us. And it's not about what you can do to get God on your side. God has been for you before you were born. God has desired you to know him you were in your mother's womb and he's done everything so that you could come into a relationship with him you 
You don't have to go to anybody else. You can come to him directly. And I pray that we would. Let's pray. Father, I don't know what it is about human nature that feels we have to earn your approval. And so many times we feel that unless we are doing certain things or living certain life that you really can't be reached. And the truth is, Lord, your arms aren't short that you can't reach us. Your ears aren't deaf that you can't hear us, Lord. It's our lives that have separated us from you. It is our sin. Lord, what needs to take place is a recognition, a confession to you that we need you in our life, a, a recognition that without you, we, we really have no purpose, no meaning. Lord, as religion tries to connect those dots of your grace to our frailty, may we see that you have already connected those dots through your son. Lord, all these things are important for us. We, we need to come before you in prayer. We, we need to be devoted to you in prayer. We, we need to remember your sacrifice and the Lord's table and communion. Lord, it's important to be baptized, to, to make that public declaration of what you are and who you are to us. Lord, may we, we not make little the importance the powerful things that you have done. But also, Lord, may we not make distant your availability in all these areas. And as everyone's praying right now, maybe you grew up in the Catholic Church and and some of these things I've said have have spoken to you. You said, yeah, I I know that and I believe that. And yes, I've even done that. I'm not here to change your religion. I don't care if you call yourself Catholic or not. But if some of the things I've shared have spoken to you and you know that what you need is Jesus himself, then I want you to know he is available. And and I want to pray for you that you could make that connection and that recognition and acknowledge that it is available to you right now. And so if you're here and, and maybe you have been distant because of a religious understanding, you've known about the truth, but maybe you haven't connected to it through Jesus, I'd like to pray for you right now if you raise your hand. Is there anyone here? Father, I pray for those of us who are here, maybe didn't grow up in Catholic or have come out of Catholicism, Lord, who have learned truth but have struggled with the area of works and trying to earn your salvation. Lord, may we not put a a burden that we can't bear on our lives. May we recognize your love, mercy, and grace that is available for us at all times. And I thank you, Jesus, for being our priest, our high priest, that you are alive and you are always interceding for us. 
and that you desire to be known more than we actually desire to know you. God, may we have a devotion to you in response to your devotion to us. And I do thank you and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.